Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. How you guys doing this morning? Good to see you. Um, fun fact, this is an optical illusion. I'm actually, this normally is the same height as Tim, uh, but it's now the same height as me. Uh, once you get up here, you become, you grow. That's just how it works, just so you know. Uh, but hey, a little bit about me. My name is Michael. I get the honor of serving here as our Youth and Community Engagement Director. If I haven't met you, I would love to meet you. But uh, just here's a little bit about me. Uh, over the last 10 years, I've really started chasing after Jesus. And that means I've just grown in my relationship with him, really just trying to figure out who is this Jesus? Who is this person who sacrificed for me? And so in the middle of that, I had an opportunity to uh, go into the missionary work. And for me, missions looked different than uh, what you would typically see, which is uh, people going to different nations outside of their own place, um, out of their own comfort zone. Uh, but I actually got to stay here in, in America and really work on the universities and high school campuses, believing that God wants young people to know him. And so a little bit about that in that time, I always knew that I would come back home home being San Jose, where I grew up. Uh, this is where I went to school. This is where I played hockey. This is where I did all the things that made me kind of into who I am today. And I knew God would say, hey, Michael, it's time to go home and serve the city that you love. And so that's a little bit why I'm here, right here at Central. Uh, I prayed into it, uh, took some interviews, got to talk with Tim and the team, and I felt like this was the place that I would call home uh, in this season of my life. So just grateful to be with you guys, to share with you guys a little bit what God has put on my heart. Uh, as we go into Give Hope, um, my real big uh, push for this season is, man, we have a great opportunity to love uh, our own neighbors, right? Love the people that we're doing life with, the people that we work with. And so my heart is to kind of share a little bit about that. Uh, but just to give you a little bit of big picture vision of what I'm thinking of, uh, I think there can be totally so much that happens in two of these spheres of just this neighborhood in itself, meaning um, two things that really stick out to me. When we, if we go after these, I feel like it'll change our city, it'll change our states, and even change the nation. Uh, and the first one is school impact. And so that just means investing in the next generation. How many of you guys know that the next generation is going to be future leaders, uh, people in government, people who are doing the things that you're currently doing? And so if we invest in those students, whether they're in elementary school, middle school, high school, the universities, whatever it is, what could happen if they just knew who Jesus was? And so my heart is that we would uh, grow into that place. Uh, right here in San Jose, just San Jose Unified alone, there's 30,000 students just in that district. And there's, over, there's like over 35 different districts. So think about that. There's tons of students. And we know to be true that there's only 1% of believers here in the Bay Area. So do the math. Uh, I, I'm done with school, so I'm not going to do it for you. Just kidding. So that would mean like there's 3,000 students that maybe know uh, some sort of religion. That doesn't mean Christianity. That it could be anything. There's some sort of faith-based. And so just think of that reality. Um, but even besides school impact, neighborhood impact would be a huge thing that we can go after. Um, how many of you guys know that the people closest to us are probably the least reached? Usually we come home and maybe we say, like, I just want to rest. I don't want to do too much. Um, but the reality is, is right, those are the people who are hurting. Those are people who are going through things. Um, and just in our neighborhood alone right here from Central within a five-mile radius is over 300,000 people. 
that's a lot of fruit. There's a lot of things that we can do. And so my heart is just to kind of share a little bit about that, um, why it's so important for us in this season. Um, and so we as people love to steward things, right? We take care of the things that we care about most. Uh, think about your homes. You don't want to go to someone's home and it be a pigsty, right? What if you walked in and there was pee all over the bathroom floor? Would not be a happy time for you, for anybody, right? You would probably want to get out right away. Uh, so typically, we as people will steward those places really well. Um, and we'll, we'll take care of things that we love. That's what we do, and we invest in ourselves, right? And that's nothing really wrong with that. Uh, but me, I, the one thing that I probably say that I take care of, uh, and my parents could vouch for me on this, and it's probably the only thing, like, I'll let my room go, let's be honest. I don't like to make my bed, but I will take care of my car. Uh, I clean it uh, almost weekly. I clean the inside so if someone comes in and sits in it, they think that uh, I'm a clean person. Um, and so I love just taking care of it because the reality is if I had to walk, I would walk to and from Gilroy every single day. And that would not be a fun experience for me every single day to get to here to Central. And so I love to take care of my car. And so about almost a year ago, our church, uh, it was about the new year. And so January, uh, we go through this thing called a 21 day prayer and fast. And it's just really a moment for us as a church to kind of give up something and just chase after God in that season. And so in that season, I was really focusing and asking God to speak to me. And so I gave up sugar, I gave up uh, social media, I gave up music. So when I was just driving to and from, I would just see if God would want to speak something. Uh, so it's, I think we started uh, the, the 9th, and that same time is my good friend's birthday. And so I called him up and I said, hey man, uh, I want to take you out for your birthday. And we're going to go have a good time. I want to pray for you. I want to bless you. And so I was like, where do you want to go? You can pick anywhere your favorite place and he says let's go to Red Robin and so Red Robin you know if you know Red Robin they got those bottomless fries right how many of you guys like the bottomless fries and the seasoning oh well, we were there and um, the waiter brings me my third round of fries and there's only four fries in it I kid you not and I was like bro you're gonna have to bring me some more because I'm gonna be done with that by the time you get to your next person and so he brings me some, we have a good time. Uh, I pray for him and we walk to my car. I get in my front seat and I put it in reverse and I look back and my front seat starts moving forward. That's not a normal thing, okay? Unless you use your back seat often. My front seat is probably the only thing that gets used other than that. And so I look again and my back window is shattered. And I go, what the heck? What is going on? And so uh, my first instinct is, what do I do? I probably should call my dad. Uh, but the worst thing, what's worse than getting your car broken into is having a car that records it. Um, so I just watched what appears to be a male on my screen break my window on repeat until I decide, man, I just need to call my dad. So I call my dad. He says, oh, we're going to have to file a report. So uh, why don't you come home and I'll help you do that. Uh, just make sure you get the address, the timestamp, all those things, and I'll help you out. And so my whole drive home, I'm driving, and the whole way I'm reminded that my car just got broken into. It's January. All I hear is this. And I was like, are you kidding me? Okay, first of all, just hearing that, you guys ever drive a car in the uneven windows? That nasty noise is happening the entire drive. 
And I have to just let it happen because it's freezing. So I have to keep all the windows up as much as I can uh, just to keep some heat in. But it's really an awful thing that's going on. And the whole time I'm thinking, man, this person really ruined my day. This person really destroyed my moment. I just was going to buy my friend a nice burger, a milkshake, whatever he wanted just to bless him in the midst of it. I uh, have a broken window, so I told him, I'm never taking you anywhere again. Um, I was like, or you're driving next time. And so, but in the middle of that, I kind of felt like God kind of asked me a question. And so as I'm driving, I, I'm just a little bit bitter, but I feel like God says, Michael, if you found out who that guy was, who appeared to be a man, if he walked into your church on Sunday and he was broken, he was hurting, his family was going through this or someone had cancer or he just needed some help, would you help him? And I'm thinking, man, I'm a pastor. I have to say yes, right? This is my job. But deep down in my heart, I was kind of like, I, do, I would not want to. I would, I would say, Tim, um, this guy needs your help, you know, <laughs> point him in a different direction. And, um, but the reality of it is that he is someone that I'm called to love regardless, regardless if I get a gain out of it or not. And so stewarding some of the things that God has called us to do is even doing things that we don't want to do. And so to make matters worse in the midst of this, um, I call my insurance to try to get the window fixed. And they tell me, my deductible is too low. I have to pay out of pocket to have it fixed. And so I'm getting even more angry, right? Like, dang it, this guy sucks. And then I go to call and have my window replaced. And guess what? They say it's going to take 21 days for your window to come in. I kid you not. 21 day fast. Random, right? <laughs> 21 day, it's on that day. And here we go. 21 days reminded of my car getting broken into. So I asked my dad, can I borrow your car? So every time I drive home, I see my car with all this tape all over it because it's, you know, raining, all these things. And just reminded every time I come home that this guy ruined my month. But every single time I'm reminded of that, I feel like God says again, would you still serve this person even if he needed you the most, right? And so just over that time, I kind of felt like God was speaking into some things that I already knew, some things that I already had in my heart. Um, and so my hope today is to kind of teach on those things and keep it pretty basic for you guys of like, this is just what I feel like he said. This is what I feel like he's speaking into um, this next season for our church and this season in itself. And so we're going to look at Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. It says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. They're asking him all kinds of things, trying to get Jesus to slip up. Um, he says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these commands. And so let's just kind of look at this and note a couple things. So the first thing, we're going to sit on this for a moment, and it's not the whole subject, but it's important to kind of get a, an overall view of what it, this is. And so it says, love the Lord with all your heart. And so to love the Lord with all your heart means to find in God a satisfaction that's so profound that it fills up all of it. That means that you desire him, your desire for him becomes the, the greatest thing that you want. 
It's the only thing that you want to fill your day with. It's the thing that he wants you to invite him into every single circumstance, every single moment. Uh, he doesn't want void. He wants to be with you. And the reality is, is that we desire other things in the midst of that, right? And so what I kind of sum it up is, is that sometimes God is calling us to do things, but sometimes we are asleep. There's a moment uh, in scripture where Jesus is about to uh, kind of, he's going to the cross. We all kind of know it if you've been involved in the church. And um, the reality is that he's sitting there, he brings some friends and he's praying uh, to God saying, hey, if this cup can pass, then let it. If not, let your will be done, right? But he brings a couple of his best buddies and what are they doing? They're sleeping. Um, and so it's Matthew 26. It says, and, Jesus, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said, Peter, could you not watch with me but one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I kind of sum that up in a way to say that like we know we're supposed to do things, we just don't do. We fall asleep in the midst of it. We make excuses in the midst of it, whether that be our reading, like, oh, I'll just do it later. And then by the time it, it's nine o'clock, you put the kids to bed, you did all the things that you needed to do. You just want to sit there and just soak in a moment of peace, right? And then we, what happens? We fall asleep. We're sleeping on the job and all God is asking is to give a little bit of time. And what happens is that our independence takes over. And our fleshly independence is one that only invites God into circumstances that we think are a gain for us. Moments where like, oh, maybe I'll try this. Or I've heard maybe I should pray about this. Or maybe, maybe I should do this. But Jesus kind of sets the standard of what it looks like to love him, to be invested in him, to do life with him and how much he pursues us. First uh, John 4:19 says, "We love because He first loved us." And so we really only know what true love is based on how we receive love from Jesus. And so we'll talk a little bit about what this love is in a bit, but um, this is, again, an overview on this part. And so the second one is finding um, um, love the Lord your God with all your soul. And so that means finding just uh, something so rich and so deep that it fills every aching corner of your soul. And I sum that up to just be finding your purpose. And I love this church because our whole purpose, the whole reason we exist is to help people find and follow Jesus. That's, the, that's it. That's, there's nothing, um, anything crazy about it. That's the whole reason we exist. That's why we do what we do. And the reality is, is that we hope that same for you. As you're going about your walk, you're finding God. Uh, we want you to do a few things to know God, right? We want you to uh, grow in freedom. That means continuously grow and, and get rid of the things that used to be in your life and things that you don't want in your life and going after Jesus and replacing them with all those things that fill our hearts. And then so when we, go, we know God, we grow in freedom, then we go show our purpose. We bring our talents. You guys all have something to give to the church. Some of it's serving in different ways, whether it's uh, going to the food distribution or, or, or being there, a, a greeter on the front patio or serving coffee or helping kids find and follow Jesus or helping youth find and follow Jesus. We all have a purpose. And then the, the main thing is just to go, go change the world, right? That's our whole vision here at Central. That's what we hope for each person. It says to love the Lord your God with all your minds. And so that's finding God, the riches and knowledge and insights of wisdom. And that's just understanding that Jesus is the only way to truth. That everything else that we can make up, everything else that we can think of is not uh, right unless Jesus is in the midst of it. And so John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Knowing Jesus, knowing who he is. 
So love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. It means this. Take all your self-love for joy, your, your need for joy, for significance, and find God in the midst of it. Find satisfaction in God. Find meaning in God. Find knowledge and wisdom. Take all of that until it satisfies your heart, your soul, and your mind. But what does he say the second thing? He says the second is like it, right? It's funny because the question was, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And then he goes on to say, well, the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so today that's kind of what we are going after. That's what we're going to talk about. Um, and so if you're like me, it's hard to love people, right? How many of you guys know that to be true? Um, how many of you guys have coworkers that you're a little bit not sure about? Uh, ones that you don't get along with. Ones that are all talk and no walk, right? They're people who you're like, oh, uh, I don't have those coworkers. I actually really love all my coworkers, just so you guys know. Um, it's true, I do. I have nothing bad to say about you guys, other than you make me feel small. Um, just kidding. I uh, love my coworkers, but I know I've worked in other places where sometimes it's hard to love those people, right? Um, perhaps, maybe, uh, how many of you guys have kids, like, still dependent on you? How many of you guys know sometimes it's hard to love other parents at the schools, um, on the sports teams? They all have something to say. They're wondering why you brought uh, snack packs and fruit, fruit Loops and all those things when their kid normally only eats um, uh, oranges and apples. And you, you, you need to do this for my kid. Like, they have something to say. Or how many of you guys know it might be hard to love your mother-in-law? Be careful. Be careful. They might be right next to you. Um, <laughs> tell them you're thankful for them this season, okay? But the reality is, right, it's hard to love. And so sometimes we get just different views on how we can love someone based on our experiences, things that have happened to us, uh, things that people have done to us. And so uh, the big thing that comes in the way is pride. And so the sin of pride is the presumption that we can have fulfillment without depending on God as our source of happiness and without caring if others find their fulfillment and happiness in God. So think of that kind of reality, right? It's not just like, oh, me, 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 me. It's wondering if other people, too, are experiencing his love and grace. And that often gets in the way of loving our neighbor. Uh, I've seen it in my own life. That's the only reason why I say this. But if we're being honest, we all have powerful instincts of self-fulfillment, right? We all want a nice home. We want a place to call home, a place that we feel secure in, a place that we feel safe in. We all want to be safe in the midst of a global pandemic. We want our family to be okay. We'll call them up. We want everyone to know, like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm doing good. We all want to feed ourselves when we're hungry. We all want food um, and clothing when we are feeling really cold in the middle of the winter. We want to feel safe. We want to ultimately have a life that has meaning. And don't get me wrong. That's not a bad thing. That's not evil. Um, we all are able to do that. It's not evil to want a place to call home or to have food or to have a life that is of significance. This is common for all people. This is a common desire. Uh, but today we're going to look a little bit more at this love your neighbor and what it means. And so we're going to take it back to elementary school. I'm going to keep it pretty basic for you guys. And so uh, we're going to define what love and neighbor is so that way we can do this as a church, as a family. And so just in simplicity, neighbor by its own definition is the other person. 
And this is anyone who is in front of us. And so the Greek word for uh, this is this word plation, and it literally translates to the one near. And so to sum it up, the way that I say it is this, it's that our neighbor is who we see, okay? You guys got that? So on the count of three, just so I know that we're all in the same place, I want you guys to say that phrase, our neighbor is who we see. So one, two, three, say it out. So we know that. And so that would include uh, teachers, police officers, firemen, doctors, um, whoever you could think of, the grocery clerk, homeless people, convicts, uh, your grandchild, uh, the actual neighbor, your mail, the mail workers, Uber drivers, counselors, uh, anyone that you can title as something, this counts as our neighbor. And so now that we know that, it's really simple that our neighbor is who we see. Uh, my question to you guys is, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. That's the answer. Um, I'm just kidding. Anyone like that song? That's what's up. <laughs> love that about that. Uh, but think about things that you guys love and things more recently, okay? So perhaps it's maybe a grandchild. Just recently within the last year, I uh, had a grandchild and that's the apple of your eye, the one that you love the most right now. Uh, think about maybe um, a toy that you have currently, something that you really like doing, a hobby. Maybe you like going and doing archery or something of that nature, things that we love right now. What is that one thing you have in your mind? Okay, now think of something that you used to love, past tense. Maybe a, a home that you grew up in. Maybe uh, an old toy like a yo-yo. Do they still use those? I used to have one, so I don't feel aged, but I'm really not aged. I'm only 31, what am I? Um, but we love things, right? We, we all have different things that we love, maybe an old pair of shoes, something that you enjoyed growing up. And so we as people kind of define love in different ways based on our experiences. And so I was like, how does the world define love? And so I did what every normal American would do and I asked Google. Um, and so I just wanted to make this basic because this is what we would do, right? And so I used Google. If you guys still use Google, uh, the prayer team's going to pray later and we'll help you out because you need to update your stuff, okay? Uh, actually, how many of you guys still use uh, AOL? Be honest. That's what's up. Keep it OG. Um, I used Google. Love Google. Um, but Yahoo is cool too. Fantasy sports, they have it. Google does not. Um, but this is what Google says that love is, okay? Love is an intense feeling of deep affection. That's the simple definition that we would see. This is what the world would see if they Googled what love was. Now, I don't know about you guys, but the world throws this word love around like it's going out of style. Like me, I love pizza. How many of you guys like pizza? I like cheese on my cheese. I like cheese inside my crust. I like pepperoni on top of each part of my pizza. Uh, I like that Maui Zowie from Round Table. Um, I like cheese just so much that I could just keep eating it. Uh, I like dipping it in ranch. I love pizza so much. It's just a weird thing. Um, and so if you guys ever want to bring me some, you can. Uh, I'm here Monday through Friday. Um, just kidding. Um, but I love that, right? And I love football. I love the Raiders. I don't care what you have to say. If you're a hater, stay silent. I'm a Raider Nation till the day that I die. I'm going to keep going. They're going to keep losing, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep my eyes on the prize because I love that team. It's the thing that I've been the most loyal to. Uh, at the end of the day, let it be said that he was loyal um, because he loved the Raiders, right? And one other thing that I really love, I love the Batman trilogy. Christopher Nolan, he did it. 
He did a good job. I love watching that movie. It's my go-to on a plane. Every time I've ever been on a plane, I watch the whole movie. Or I'll watch the whole series, depending on how long it is. So I can watch two if it's all the way to New York. I can watch one if it's anywhere else in the country. That's how much I love it. Probably seen it, honestly, if I'm being real with you guys, over 40, 50 times this year. <laughs> but I just love it. But to be honest, I wouldn't sacrifice my life for pizza. I'd end up with clogged arteries. I wouldn't follow the Raiders for the rest of uh, my life, meaning quit my job, forsake my calling, do all these things just to be next to them. Uh, I wouldn't do that, but they probably could use my help. I'm pretty good at Madden. Um, I wouldn't follow the teachings and ideologies of Bruce Wayne. I just wouldn't do that. I don't love those things that much. Um, and so our world kind of just has taken this love word and made it to whatever we want. Pizza, for me, maybe it's something different for you. But biblical love is different. Biblical love is, it requires a real encounter with Jesus. So today we're going to look at those. And so the first thing uh, that I want to say is that biblical love is sacrificial. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Uh, I often think of brothers and sisters as just our neighbors. And so just take a moment for you personally, okay? This is for your life. Think of someone who's loved you. Could be your mom. Could be your grandpa. Just someone who's loved you so much where you like, man, this is someone I care for. I would do anything for. And so now that you have that person in your mind, what made them different? What is something that they did for you? What is that thing that really sticks out that makes them the person that you've chosen to think about in this moment? If we're being honest, we can evaluate that kind of moment in our life, and they probably gave something up. They probably gave us a place to stay when we had nowhere to call home. They probably sacrificed their time and said, hey, whatever you need, I'd help you out. They probably looked at us and they did something that no one else would do, right? And to sum that up, it would be they sacrifice something for you. And so when we think about that love in its own nature, it sacrifices for us. And for many of you guys, that's probably the reason that you're here today. You're sitting in a church because someone sacrificed something for you. And Jesus, he really paints that picture for us because true love is sacrifice. It's in the giving, it's, it's, it's in the giving and not the getting. It's in the losing and not the gaining. Love is sacrificial, and Jesus shows us this, and this is the story of the gospel essentially found in John 3, 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So Jesus paints this picture. He gives up something, his life, for us to inherit life. He, he, he pursues us when we didn't deserve it, when we rejected him, all those moments in life. He still gave us something. Biblical love is sacrifice. But biblical love, it also sees the need. So in 1 John 3, 17, uh, it says, But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And so I wish this was a fancy way of something else, but it's pretty clear. Uh, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It kind of point, paints the picture. And this involves someone who has more than enough to meet their own needs. 
someone who has so much, but they're not willing to give to someone who does not. Well, their brothers and sisters of faith or even within their own city um, are in pain and suffering. And the whole reality of the gospel is what? Giving something. Jesus giving us what we didn't deserve. And we never gave him anything. We never spoke to him and said, we love you first, so go die for us. We never did anything to earn his love. He just simply loved us. I remember when I, um, I was in missions with uh, Youth with a Mission, I got the chance to go to Florida. We did literally 60 events um, in 30 days. So it's like two events a day. But the one that really stuck out to me is I got to talk to this high school student. And so we did this message of the gospel, and um, at the end we left time for prayer and worship. And I see this kid in the corner of the room. He's just in tears. He's at a high school, like I think he was a freshman or sophomore. And I walk up to him, and I'm just like, bro, what's going on? Like, what's God doing? Why are you crying? And he said, if you knew what was happening in my high school, you would be in tears too. He didn't go to any kind of like explanation of what those things were. But what re he really saw that there was something going on and what it needed was Jesus. He had this some sort of pull that there's actually pain and suffering where he is close to. His neighbors, his people that he gets to do life with uh, in the same classes, in the same clubs, whatever it is. But what I love about this kid is that he just said, I have to do something about it. He said, I see what's going on in my school. I see that there's brokenness. I see that there's pain and I need to do something. And he starts just dreaming wildly. He says, what if I started a club in the mornings or at lunch and, and, and I just preach the gospel every week, even if no one came, if it was me and one other person in the room and I just preach the gospel, I wonder what Jesus would do on my campus. Could he solve these problems? And he had faith for it. But he didn't just see the need, right? He met the need. And so biblical love doesn't only see the need, it meets the need. So Jesus would do this his whole life. Uh, in Matthew 14, there's this story that um, we know as Jesus performing the miracle of feeding tons of people, right? And so we're going to take a look at that real quick. And so uh, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from town. Um, when he landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the village and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have only, um, they're like, We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. They answered, Bring them here. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides the women and children. So we know that basically means there was way more, right? And so what I love about this passage is that, one, there's something that needed to be happening. What did the disciples do? They're like, we've done enough today. We've, we've been on the road. We've been doing these things. Uh, let's just tell them to go away and feed themselves. But Jesus had compassion. And I love that he had compassion, but he didn't just have that, but he responded with action. I and mean, we don't always carry those things in our own lives, right? It's easy to have compassion for the orphan child, for the one who's going through a lot, for the widow, 
or even for people who are really close in our lives, people who are broken in our own lives, our family members who are going through something, it's easy to have compassion for those people. But it's not always easy to have compassion for those that we don't know, the people that we walk by at the grocery store, the people that we'll see um, sitting outside begging for money or whatever it is that people are doing. We don't always have compassion. And so I started asking myself the question, like, what struck the core of Jesus? And the simple answer would be love, right? We know that. He loved us. That's the, that's the easy thing to think of. But I'll be honest, as I sit there for a while, I was just like, what was it that Jesus had that we're missing out on? And it was just simply that statement of he had compassion. It wasn't just for one person. It wasn't for a select group. It was for all people. And so the simple thing that we got to do, and this is really basic, again, we're keeping it elementary, is just ask for God's heart for this. In the mornings, waking up and saying, God, would you teach me to be compassionate? And there's a prayer um, that I love. It's not necessarily a prayer, but it's, a, it's what my prayer has been recently. It's in Ephesians 4, 32. It says, be, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God has forgiven you. And the reason this has been so in my heart is that I've had experiences where um, I've gone and I felt like I was supposed to give someone some cash as they're waiting outside of a store, only to come back around and um, see them doing something that didn't seem right. And so my heart goes to like, oh, I don't ever want to do that again, right? I don't ever want to help someone else. Or uh, this one time we went and fed someone and they're like, I don't like that stuff. And they were angry at us. And it was just an interesting thing where we can experience different moments where we tried to give our best or we tried to help someone out that we didn't know. And then because of that, we don't want to do it again. But the reality is, is that Jesus truly does speak to uh, our hearts in asking us for um, to, to, to really go after the people who are lost in this city. And so my heart has been, God, would you teach me to be kind and compassionate? And I would hope at the end of the day that that is your guys' heart too. Uh, but what I love about this is that he didn't just um, have compassion, he responded with action. And he didn't just say, someone else will do it. Someone else will meet the needs. Someone else will come uh, and do this. There's someone else who will do these things. And James 2, 14, 18 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accomplished by action is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. It says like, hey, I see that they're hurting, but it does something about it. It's people who respond with action. In other words, it's saying that my heart and my actions look the same. It's saying that if I'm speaking it, I'm doing it. If I'm praying for it, I'm believing for it, and I'm acting upon it. James 1, 23 through 25 says, For if anyone is a hearer of God and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It's just over and over that we are called to take God's commandments seriously. Over and over that if he calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves, then we are called to do that. But biblical love doesn't just see the need or meet the need. What it does is it's a life that naturally requires obedience. And so biblical love demands obedience. 
In 1 John 5, 3, it says, In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. That means we're not sleeping on the job. We're not just saying, oh, I'll do it when I, I feel like it. Or, oh, I can't believe I have to do this. This is an opportunity for us as people to love regardless. And the Bible makes it clear that if we consider ourselves believers and we don't live up to this standard, then we're liars. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Because genuine love for God means loving his commands, which are a reflection of his character. The same way that he loved you is the way that he wants you to love someone else. And and it says, uh, this is love that we walk according to his commands. So we love keeping his commands, but we love doing it and staying on track for it. And true obedience is not just a list of outward rules, right? It's true obedience is embracing the rightness of God and his commands that he has for us. Therefore, loving his commands, therefore loving what he's called us to do. It means loving how right God's law is, even if it's not for our gain, even if it's not for me to get something out of it, even if it's not for my gain, but for the gain of my neighbor. And so when we think of this kind of reality, uh, we understand that it's true that our neighbors are everyone, right? But the truth, too, is that we have to do this for everyone. And so biblical love is sacrificial. Biblical love sees the need, meets the need, and it demands obedience. And so if our neighbors are who we see, then that's what we're called to do. And so all that to say that as you love yourself, so love your neighbor. Uh, as you long for food, to be fed, to be, to be taken while nourished, so long for that for your neighbor as well. I think of just this weekend alone, uh, I had the opportunity to be at one of our food pantries and um, helping alongside of our partnership with City Team. And just in the moment, you see uh, like 300 cars on the line of people who are looking to be fed, looking for food. And I know there's all these things, pandemics and and loss of jobs, all these things that go on. And, And just to see that there's fully a need and that our church is meeting that need by serving but not just serving, being able to say, like, we've invested in a food pantry. Like, Mayfair Project is something that we've been continually going after and seeing God do things, right? And so as we seriously want to be fed, man, we're meeting that need as a church. But as we long for homes, to, for, for a comfortable place to live, what are we doing as a church about that? Just last year, uh, actually, as of last week, a full year, calendar year, some of you guys may have known that we've uh, been renovating an apartment at the Grace Village with City Team. And this is a place where women in transitional housing get to come and have a home. And our church saw that there is a big homeless population, that people are hurting, people are broken. And so what we said last year in this time for Give Hope, that we would do something about it. That we wouldn't be the results, uh, we wouldn't be the people who sat by and said another church will do it. That we didn't say that we'd be the people who, who were waiting for another church to come and raise the right amount of funds. But not only that, we had people like uh, Ben and Ronnie and Paige and uh, Pat and all of you guys come and say, man, we want women to have homes. We're not, we're not going to be the reason that they don't. And so we as a church, when we see people hurting, what do we do? We see that need. We meet that need. And we're not just saying, oh, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to be easy. But it really does require a sacrifice of our own goods. Now, I know that each and every one of us are going through different things and different moments and different seasons. And the holidays are coming up. And we can probably come up with a bunch of excuses why this could be hard to invest in. 
this Give Hope project or anything that's even going on here at church. But to me, man, when I see people hurting, it's like, man, Jesus has required me. As I have loved him, like he's asking me to do this. And it doesn't feel like a burden, it feels like a joy. It doesn't feel like something that I have to do, wake up on a Saturday and go try to texture a wall that I've never textured before. But man, as I'm sitting there, I'm literally getting the heart of God saying, man, people will meet him as a result of this. And so my joy is in that, is that, that the same way that we love people, we, we have to understand that it's not just responding in action. It's not just getting the work done. But love your neighbor as yourself means the same way, the same zeal, the same creativity, the same perseverance that you would do something for yourself. If you were hungry, if you were desperate for food, what would you do? You would go start hunting. You would learn how to pick berries, which berries are good for you. You would find food for your family. If your kids didn't have clothes, you would go asking everybody to clothe them. You would ask anything. You would be desperate for them to, to get that need met. But I think of even our own neighbors, right? There's people hurting. There's these same things that are happening. And it's crazy because the same need that's in South Africa or, or um, the Middle East or even in uh, South America, all those needs, they do happen here. Maybe they're not as publicized or, or as highlighted or as severe. We don't know. We don't really like keep a, a scale of which one is more and we'll help with that one because it's, it's happening. But the truth is people are hurting and we as a church are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so just to give you guys a little bit of insight to what that looks like, uh, just last year, um, we as a church got to do so much. And this is just a little highlight, a fun way to, to show you guys the impact that you've already had as a result of loving your neighbor. Uh, the first thing is uh, at our partnership with City Team, uh, just over this number keeps rising because as we do more and more uh, every month there's more numbers but we can give you guys a rough estimate that 164,000 or approximately almost 165,000 pounds of food became 137,000 meals for people in San Jose and that means that uh, over or pretty close to 3,800 times families in this uh, just this city alone were able to have food on their tables bi-weekly and that means close to $288,000 they could re-deflect to something else like their own uh, rents or anything like PG&E and that's something that's not normal in places. Uh, if you have friends who are Christians, they might be are, are not Christians, uh, they might serve at some of these places for work hours or things like that but for a church to say man people are hurting uh, we're going to do something about it and look what's been done the other things that have been done um, is 500 children this uh, upcoming season will be able to experience the gift of christmas 500 kids that may have not had had the opportunity to open a gift and what do we do for sometimes we take for granted opening up that gift on a, on a Christmas day and we, we get to hang out with our families. But some kids in our own city don't have that opportunity. And this church said, hey, we see the need, we'll meet the need. 400 students in just a couple months um, last year heard the gospel on a high school campus. And not only a high school campus, but uh, it's not a private school. It's uh, uh, fully like the, the school has allowed us to come and partner with another organization. And we have like seven leaders who are ultimately investing in their, their friend circle saying, hey, if we see a need, we're going to start a club. We're going to meet that need. And the need is saying, hey, our school needs Jesus. So over 400 students uh, at one school. So that means one school 
Think of all the other schools if we just invested more. And so think of this uh, too, by way of cleaning, um, we, over 230 uh, of our neighbors right here in our backyard uh, were benefited from a cleanup project that we did. Having people, one, we were just praying at a park saying, God, we, we see our neighbors and we want them to know we're here for them. So even if only one person comes and gets prayer, we're gonna meet that need. But not only that, we're gonna serve them as a church. And so 230 homes just close to us and there's still work to be done. Uh, just a, a couple weeks ago, 110 uh, first responders, this includes uh, officers, firemen, uh, came and they were blessed. And one of the things that stood out to me is that they experienced the love that's so different. Uh, I heard a couple officers say, hey, not a lot of people do this. Not a lot of churches uh, just have a whole lunch like this for us and not to shame anybody, but it's to say, man, uh, there's just a, a small need and we can meet that need, right? And another one said, hey, this is awesome because in the times where officers think they're hated by everybody, uh, this is a thing that, that encourages our heart. And so what would it look like just for every single person, every single first responder to know that the church is for them, the church loves them, we see that need. And even 75 educators uh, benefited from just appreciation gift. These are the people who are raising up a generation, the people who will, will change the world by the result of how well we love these teachers. And so just think about that. If the teachers feel blessed, man, they long to do their job. They long to invest in a community. Uh, but I want to go back to the uh, first part of this recap. Now, this just might seem like a number. And so we might be thinking, well, we're just giving money to see people fed. And that's awesome. But where's Jesus in the midst of this? That's a, that's a good question to ask. But um, what I've been told and uh, within the Mayfair project, community home, uh, there's a lot of Spanish speakers, and I don't know about you guys, but I don't speak Spanish. And so that means I don't really have that much of a gifting to reach these people with my words. And so by me coming and just putting a box in their car and feeding them um, physically, like saying, hey, we got food for you. Uh, what happens is a couple women begin to get interested in why people are doing this. And so City Team has started this thing called Vital Connections, which is, this, um, I don't want to like dumb it down or, or make it seem, I don't know like the fullness of everything that encompasses, but what I've seen based on the project is they're basically in the Word of God. And so a few women then became their husbands are like, why are my wives doing this? And so they then became interested in what's happening. And so now there's 30 women and 22 men who are essentially in this program graduating to go and um, hear the message of Jesus, hear what God has for them, restore their lives in the midst of this, all because one person gave a dollar or $2 or $10 or $100,000, whatever it is they gave, so people can see food, so Michael could come put a box and one person's life could be ever ch forever changed. But not just that. What I'm told is that uh, weekly on Tuesdays, uh, anywhere between 90 to 100 individuals from that same area hop onto a live stream. Uh, I don't know how often it gets done or anything like that, but 90 to 100 people just to hear a discussion about who Jesus is. So as it may just seem like a box or a dollar or something like that, what's happening at this church is that uh, even 100 people are hearing who God is where maybe we don't have the authority to speak Spanish or, or we can't talk to those people, but we can come and love them by doing a few things. Giving to a project that would help sustain that. Two, giving our time to say, hey, I love my neighbors because Jesus has called me to do just that. And sometimes it might be hard. 
Sometimes it might be hard to give or, or to invest in this, but by giving hope this holiday season, what I feel like God is doing is that we as a church are signing up to see the need, to meet the need, to, to sacrifice, to, to obey God's commands. And so what my hope is, is not to say, hey, you guys are doing a crappy job. I'm just saying, man, we got to celebrate what's happening. There's things happening that we don't even get to see the fullness of, right? We don't get to see all that's happening around this city. I don't know what's happening at any of your guys' jobs, who's encountering Jesus, but what's happening is God is moving. And so my joy and my, my love for this church, for this community is that everyone would know him. And even if I don't see like that happen, man, I'm gonna be here and let it be said too that this church was a church that loved their neighbor. That this church was a people who took God's command serious. And our commands is to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so in the same way that you would take care of yourself, church, I ask that you would take care of our brothers and sisters, that you would take care of our community's needs. And his, his commands are not burdensome, but man, it is a joy to partner with uh, communities who are doing the same things. And I know many of you guys are doing so many good things, but I really think the core of it comes and it starts with us understanding his love for us the love that he's given to us, that he's extended to us. And I know it's true of uh, two people in this room, we've either never experienced his love or we have, and we just need a little reminder of what his love has been for us. And so what I wanna do is I wanna pray for both people in the room. I wanna pray that if you've never experienced the love of God, that you would, that you would understand his saving power, that you would understand that he's for you, that he wants your whole life to be flipped upside down, that he wants to be a part of your healing process. He wants to give you freedom. He wants to give you the joy that you've been chasing after. And I'll tell you what, when I asked Jesus to come into my life, man, my life has never been the same. Every single day I experience joy. Every single day I experience peace. Every single day I experience freedom. There's never been a day where I've questioned if I'm loved. There's never been a day since then when I met his love. So my hope is today that you would feel that. And the second is for us who have experienced that love, that we would be reminded of what he's done, reminded of what he's doing. And so my challenge to you is in this next few moments is just think about what he has done. Think about what he's doing. Thinking about the family that he's given you to show and extend his love to you.